The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. And Michael Chiesa is putting on a clinic in terms of fighting in the way that you need to in a big spot. I wasn't able to push through five rounds. I can't even talk about being a champion. Michael Maverick Chiesa! Welcome to UFC Unfiltered. Please tell me that's on video. I've never been happier. I'm made for a fucking podcast. That's dangerous. Listen to me, we're at it. Welcome to UFC Unfiltered. Uh, Matt is, uh, I think Matt's on a plane coming back from uh, the UK. He was doing some events. So Michael Chiesa, thanks for sitting in uh, today. Appreciate it. Yeah, happy to join you guys. By the way, very, um, I have to say very professional setup you have there you you have not only like this little nice little log cabin thing you have your microphone out of view and the audio is still good so did you just not want it in your face or is that the most convenient place for it i just tend to move in and out so much i'm italian i talk with my hands so everything you know i'm flying all over the place right. so keep it above my head and it's a shame too because i'm just sitting in my living room and i actually have like a ridiculous man cave out in my garage with like a golf simulator, fight posters, signed memorabilia, but I don't get good internet out there. So I'm relegated. So you got to do it here. Yeah, so what do you have that I mean, signed? What do you have that signed? Like I, I like getting stuff signed too. And it, there's nothing wrong with being a fan of people who you actually get to know. And, and, and yeah. what, what do you usually get? Dude, I got some pretty sweet stuff. I got um, Chuck Liddell to sign some shorts for me and my yeah. wife put them in a glass case and they're, they're Iceman shorts, which is cool. Oh, yeah. I grew up skateboarding, so I'm a big uh, Danny Way is like my all time hero. Um, and I met him at the X Games. He signed a skateboard deck for me. Uh, I'm a big Mike Evans fan, and my uncle happens to be the sports psychologist for the Bucks. Okay, been with him for like 22 years. So I actually got a game worn Mike Evans jersey signed, put in a, a case. And then I got like I got like a, one of my my Ultimate Fighter finale poster, the one that Al and I fought in. I got that in there, and then. Um, I'm getting a box for a boxing glove I had signed by Uriah, uh, Dominic Cruz, Vitor Belfort. So I'm kind of like, I hate asking my peers for autographs, but it's like, this is stuff like later on. It's just for myself, you yep. know, like, you know, it's nothing like a little personal collection. Uh, honestly, yeah. And I get them. Uh, I, I have uh, so much stuff signed, but there's not a lot of room in my apartment for it. So literally they're just sitting in the closet and uh, you know, I, I'm really annoyed at myself. But a man cave, you get a house with a man cave, that's perfect to put all your stuff. It's nice because I have like stacks of stuff I just want to hang up, but I, I didn't have anywhere to put it. So Who have you wanted to ask? There had to be somebody you wanted to ask that you were, were on the same card with. Um, and, and then you're like, ah, I better not. And you kind of like, fuck, I wish I had. Uh, you know, like probably guys like Jose Aldo. Like I remember when I, I got a fight on the same card as him in Houston two years ago I was like I wish I had something like I don't want it, to it's cooler when you have it not like a t-shirt or something when if you have like a picture or something that's like attached to them I think sure. it makes it a little better but it's like I didn't really have anything couldn't really think of it I wanted to ask Tom Brady when I met him uh over when I met him at the John Jones fight I was like god that's just weird to be watching a fight and being like hey well I got you Tom you know you want to sign something for me but we well, get a picture do you get pictures I did. Yeah. And actually, so um, going back to Mike Evans, you know, him and I kind of have a decent little relationship. We talk pretty often and uh, I saw him 
And he's like, hey, what's up, Mike? And I was like, oh, what's going on? Who are you with? He's like, I'm with Tom. You want to meet him? I'm like, huh. <laughs> at least I didn't, at least I didn't have to ask you. So he took us over and I mean, what a gracious human being. Yeah. Like, this is like an all-time great across any sport. And he was just so gracious with his time. He shook your hand, looked you in the eyes, asked you how you were doing. Like he was, he was a, he was a pleasure to me. Yeah, that's a difference. If a, if a friend is introducing you, then then getting something signed might be weird because the next time you see him, he, he might actually remember you as just a guy he met through a friend yeah, instead of know. a fan. And I and he, like I said, my uncle works for the Buccaneers. So when I was like, hey, I'm Dr. Corella's, uh, uh, Dr. Corella's nephew. He's like, oh my gosh, you know, so it, it would have kind of spoiled it. I was like, oh, and yeah, can you sign this for me too? But while you're at it, so. Here's what you do. Get pictures with people. I love to get a picture and get that photo signed yeah. and then find a way to mail it to them, but do it like as your wife and go, hey, look, uh, my husband is too shy to ask. I would love you to sign this. Could you sign this to Michael? It's his birthday. And then they'll wind up signing it and be like, oh, that's a fun little thing from his wife. Right, that's a good idea. How about I, uh, anybody you fought? Has there anybody, everyone been anybody you fought who you were like, ah, it's just too weird to ask? Condit. I have, a, I have walkout shirts from when I fought Carlos. Like back, I think I, I was just been training for like a year or two. And there's actually a picture of it around the internet. I could pull it up. Um, or I'm wearing a sinister, natural born killer shirt. I was a huge Condit fan. So I would buy his shirts and that one. I wore that thing until it just got holes in it. Like it was my favorite shirt. Right. I, I, every other day I was wearing it. And there's actually a picture of me and one of my friends, Kayla. And it's like me when I'm super young, you know, not a, not a hair on my face and I'm wearing a Condit shirt and it's sitting upstairs in a box. And I thought about it, like going into that fight week, I was like, God, you know, he, he is NBK, you know, is he, how's he going to be outside the fight? Like, would this be super weird? I wish I would have brought it. Is it weird fighting somebody who you've admired? Like, again, when you saw Uriah Hall uh, fought Anderson Silva, it, it was yeah. such an incredible thing at the end to watch this, like this worship he had for Silva, um, th this, this uh, admiration. And, and uh, how was it to fight somebody you looked up to? And I know you have to put it out of your mind or you have to see them. The way to honor them is to actually fight them well. But how do you manage that? You know, for Carlos, uh, it was it was really challenging because me, I'm like, I, I obviously I caught him towards the back end of his career, and I was so asphyxiated on like the natural, like when we saw him flying the Don Juan Kim, when we saw him spinning elbow Tiago Alves and put his, you know, turn him into a Picasso painting. His nose was over yeah. here on his cheek. You know, um, I spent so much time focusing on those fights, and I just remember being scared to death on the walkout. I was like, you're really going to have to fight this guy. Like, this is going to be, this is not good. You're going to have to go through hell. Like I, I was just anticipating that Carlos. I mean, uh, so it was hard for me to kind of turn the fanboy and me off. Right, right, right. Because you admired it. And by the way, uh, our producer sent this photo. You look like a young Chael Sonnen. I would never have recognized you. If somebody said, who is this in the UFC? I, you could have given me a week and I would not have guessed oh you. Yeah. Young guy, kind of uh, dirty blonde hair. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, you know, it's funny, that fear thing. You know who had that was uh, they asked uh, uh, George Foreman about I something about fighting Frazier. And he said, I was scared when I fought him. Uh, because Joe was so nasty and Foreman yeah. destroyed Frazier, but uh, he said he was scared that J Frazier would look down and actually see his knees shaking. He was so scared to fight him. Well, you know, and that's the thing too. It's like fear is not a bad thing when it comes to fighting. I'm not trying to take this into philosophical territory, right. but it's like, it, you know, fear brings out the best in you. You know, if you're in a life or death situation, you're not going to be comfortable with it. You know, if a guy's got a gun to your head, there's fear, you know? So it's like, right. Fear can be a good thing if you just don't let it consume you. If you can trigger into that kind of fight or flight mode, like fear can produce a lot of good things. I think I've always said the day I, I will be done fighting is if I'm just in the locker room and I'm just like, all right, let's, let's go do this. You know, if you're just so, if there's no element of fear, it's like, yeah, you shouldn't even be fighting at all. I, I, I think that even the guys that say fighting doesn't scare, that, scare them at all. I think deep down at some point, whether it's on the fight night or the preparation, there is an element of fear for sure. Yeah, there's no way for it not to be, you know, uh, like it, it shouldn't, uh, other comics I've talked to a lot of times, you know, with smaller fights, I mean, I mean, with smaller gigs, you don't, you don't really get that. Or, or if you're just working out material, but when it matters, you get it. And it's kind of like, I'm sure you don't get 
really nervous if you're just training compared to an actual fight. Uh, so yeah, I understand that. And I don't think it ever should go away. I think there's something wrong with you. If you're going to fight in a cage and you're not, you don't have any type of fear walking into it. Yeah, dude. I, I honestly, I get scared sometimes training. Like if I mm. know, like, you know, Hey, even if it's like my guys I'm used to, if coaches like, Hey, it's going to be a rough day. It's like, okay. You know, it's like my training partners, they're not going to take it easy on me. I'm going to have to battle through a ton of fatigue. I might get hurt. You know, I think, I think about those things a lot. Or if it's like, you're bringing in a new sparring partner. Like there's been times we brought in like good kickboxers and I'm like, fuck, here we go. Like someone new, someone, I don't know any of their nuances. It's, it's going to feel like a fight because I've never thrown hands with them. So how, how do they tr react to a guy like you? I mean, you're, you're such a name in the UFC and like a lot of those guys are probably look up to you. Uh, do they want to come harder at you because they want you to be impressed with their fighting or they, how do they normally approach you? I think it, it, what I would say is it's the same as when I was a, a kid coming up and I, anytime I would get my chance to, to go with a guy that, that's in the UFC or at the time WEC or strike force, those were like the three main yeah. uh, promotions that were UFC was always ahead, but they were all relatively equal. And it was like your time to shine. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, here we go. Like now I can see what I'm made of. You know, it's never like it, I wanted to perform my best to impress them, but to also see where, where am I at? Like, Hey, you know, if I'm training with, uh, like, uh, Cody McKenzie, who's one of my teammates in the UFC, I always wanted to do my best against him a to impress him and B cause it's like, then I can see where I'm at. Like if I can right. hang with this guy that's in the UFC, I'm going to gain confidence going forward. But now that I'm in that position, yeah. I'm like, God damn it. These are the worst guys to go in. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's good for you because they push in, they're going to give you your best, but it's like, they're a handful. Like if they're like, let's say they catch you with a good punch or, you know, they, they get you in a good position or something. They're like patting you on the back. Oh man, that was good. And you're just like, no, it was not. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you have anything coming up? I know you're going to fight Li Jing Liang. And uh, what, what happened to him? Uh, he had some sort of an injury, I'm guessing. Um, you know, he, uh, yeah, he had an injury. It was like a neck or back injury. Um, so then I find out 15 days before the fight, he's out. And, you know, I'm never going to say anything bad if a guy has to pull out with an injury, especially something like that. I'm a sure. guy, that I, I, you know, I've had back issues myself and that's what sidelined me for so long, um, over the last year and some change, but, um, it's just unfortunate. And it's a, it's a tough spot to be in too, because, if you're unranked, it's easy for them to just throw somebody in there with you. You know, like they'll, they'll, they'll find you somebody, but literally it's one of those situations where it's like, it's either gotta be somebody that is on the brink of making it into the rankings, or it's gotta be somebody with a number next to their name. So once it got down to that, it became kind of hard. And, you know, unfortunately I, I just was, was pulled from the card. Um, and it, it's a bummer, dude. I was really looking forward to that fight. Uh, going to Miami, had a lot of friends, family, loved the matchup. Uh, was just really, it almost got to a point where I'm like, this is going too good. Like something yeah. bad has to happen. I need to, some kind of an injury or something. Something's got to happen for me to feel comfortable. Nothing was happening. And that just happened to be the thing. Um, you know, so I, I got, I had, I took a little time off, went to Hawaii, you know, training a little bit right now, getting back in the mix with some death shows and things like that. So I'm, I'm kind of shooting for July. Okay. Uh, yeah. Just cause it's like, you know, I, I went through a 12 week camp you acquire no, no injuries, but like a couple of things that are tweaked that could use a little time. And, and uh, you know, I want to fulfill my obligations. I've signed myself to with, with my, with the shows I'm doing and stuff. Um, so we'll see what happens. Plus you get no money. I mean, 12 weeks of training and you're not going to get any money for the fight. Like, so it's, 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 it sucks to find out two weeks before. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, I mean, I've been, I've been in the UFC for 11 years. Um, you know, I don't really have any businesses outside of fighting. Like for me, it's like I fight, I do my desk work, I do my podcasting. Uh, I have a few sponsors here and there, and I, I live a pretty humble lifestyle. Like <laughs> you laugh if you saw what I drive. Like I just drive a beat up GMC truck. Like I, I, you know, it's not. I'm I'm fighting at this point because I just want to. Like you like fighting, yeah. Financially, I've I've set myself up to where I can continue without fighting. I don't have to do this anymore. There was times right. when I had to fight, like. When I fought Jim Miller, I had negative 15 grand to my name on a credit card. Like I have to fight. There is no choice. Otherwise yes. you're just a broke hoe, you know? So, <laughs> so I, uh, yeah. So there's situations where I needed to, but now it's like, it's just a matter of want and I want to fulfill, um, you know, what I set out to do and that's chase a world title.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What do you think about, uh, I mean, like this, this Saturday, I can't believe it's here already. Um, uh, Aljamain against uh, Henry Cejudo. Uh, that's an incredible, I didn't think Henry would ever fight again, but then I'm like, why would he walk away in his prime? Like, was he, did he have an injury he didn't tell anyone about, or did he just not know what he wanted to do, or was he bored? Um, this is a great fight. What are your thoughts on this fight? For Henry, you know, I think... The retirement thing is so perplexing because when you just look at his age, when he did it after just beating the best band of weight of all time. And I'm, you know, that's, I'm sure a discussion we're going to get into later, Sure, Uh, but maybe just feeling like he's seen it done at all. It's COVID, you know, it's just a weird time. Weird things are happening. Um, But I knew it wasn't going to last. It's like, dude, you're you're 33 and there's no signs pointing towards the door. Like, there's no reason why you should be walking out on fighting. Like, you're a double champ. You know, you just beat a a future Hall of Famer um, who is very much in his prime as well. I, 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 it's just, I think that maybe he just got burned out a little bit. It's exhausting, dude, especially when you think about what he's done. I mean, this is a guy... I'm sure everybody knows he's won an Olympic gold medal. He, yeah. he tends to tell people a lot about that. He does but, mention it. Yeah, he's not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you just look at how long he's been in the grind. There, there's a wrestling coach out here, very famed wrestling coach, John Owen. And he would always say, like, every really good high-level wrestler has 10 years in them. And times have changed and guys are finding ways to elongate their career. But you look at Henry and how much time he's put into wrestling and then transitioning to mixed martial arts. I mean... It's a, it's a lot of time. So maybe he just wanted a break, but I think that uh, I, I think I knew, I knew at some point that he would come back. And I think that Aljo is just a guy. I, I, if I was to be completely honest, I think that he's, I think he sees something in Aljo he can capitalize on. And that's why he's coming back. Yeah. He um, it, it is crazy for three years, kind of in your prime. Like we were talking about John Jones the other day and uh, it might've been Brett Okamoto. Somebody said that he thinks John might retire after this next fight, but you've lost a lot of, when, when you're John, you've lost a lot of those prime years of money-making. Like, do you not want to just take a few fights and make money? Um, it's not like other, other professions, you know, 33 to 36, those are really, really important years uh, when you're fighting for a living. So yeah, I'm, I'm shocked. I would love to ask him the real reason uh, that he did that. I think maybe it was for family too. I know you'd mentioned that in, um, in, in some interviews and stuff that he wanted to build a family. That could be a, a, a big culprit to that. But one thing about Henry is, yes, he missed a few years of his prime. Very, very important years. But yeah. if you can save your brain and your body and continue to stay involved with the sport, being a veteran is a big is, is a key player in, in this game. Like think about how many champions are under 20. We don't really have very many of them. Right. So I think for him being still involved in the game, you know he's still training. He's getting his mental reps. He's helping guys win world titles. I mean, he's he's coached multiple champions in his time off. Him coming back at 36, I don't think there will be any missed years of his prime. I think he's going to look better than he's ever looked. That's a good point, too. You you There are also years that you've not been getting injured. There are right. also years that you've rested your body. Uh, so you could get to 36 and have fourth for those years and, and gotten hurt once and sat out for a year and a half anyway. So, yeah, you're right. Um, this is a really, really interesting fight. Henry has a really great power as well. Um, I think if Aljo gets on his back, he's going to have a, uh, be a tough night for Henry. Um, what, what do you think? Do you have a prediction on this fight? 
Yes, I do. And it's obvious who I'm picking. It's I'm picking Aljamain Sterling. This is what I love about Aljamain is every fighter is like wants to be so like they they keep it to the they uh, they run a tight ship when it comes to like what's your game plan in this fight? You'll just have to wait and see. Aljamain Sterling is like tells every single guy, yep. I'm going to take your back. I'm going to ride you like Sea Biscuit before I choke you out. Like <laughs> I love that. But it's like he, he will tell his opponents what he's going to do, and there's nothing they can do to stop it. And you can bring in all the jujitsu guys you want. And I'm not saying this from a biased standpoint. Yes, Aljamain Sterling is one of my friends, but I have learned to remove myself from these situations by being an analyst. You have to take your bias out of everything, and you have to be honest with the people. So. My unbiased opinion is Aljamain wins, and I wouldn't be surprised if he wins by submission because you can bring in all the jujitsu black belts you want. You can do all the shark tanks you want with guys getting on your back and having to fight off chokes, but Aljo's just different. He is just different. Like when he gets a hold of you, it is like getting caught in a bear trap. I've trained with him many times, and I will say, if the guy gets on my back, I, I'm, I struggle. And I'm, you know, three weight classes ahead of him. So, yeah. That's that confidence. And, and Aljo just, he, he, and here's another thing too. Look at, look at who his corner men are. Like, yeah, I always say right. this, I will never forget when I fought Al and I wasn't like, I was, it wasn't like I was just fighting Al Quinta who kicked my ass for a whole season. I'm going against Matt Sarah and Ray Longo. I'm going against the guys that beat GSP. I'm going, you know, and then it's yeah. time we're going against the guys. That Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva. The guy that went five rounds with Khabib on a week's notice. That's not, that, that, there's something. Insane. Yes. Insane. Yeah. And then you got Aljo. And it's like, dude, Henry's a smart guy and he's got great coaches. But if, if, if I had to put the coaches into the equation, it, it sways the favor so much more towards Aljo. Yeah, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna strangle him too. Uh, again, and, and I think Cejudo is a very, very uh, tough, and you can't uh, count him out because again, he is. It was a two class champion. He's a great, great fighter. But I just think Aljamain finds a way to get on his back. Uh, and what a great co-main too, uh, Bilal Muhammad against Gilbert Burns. Uh, it seems like kind of a short turnaround uh, for for Gilbert, but I'm I'm glad that Bilal got this fight. It's a t it's a quick turnaround for both guys. This is a very peculiar. Pick. Oh, when did Bilal fight again? Sorry, when, when was the Bilal last? last fought Sean Brady in Abu Dhabi. So October, okay, yeah, yeah. So it's been some time, but uh, it's short notice for both guys. And before before we got on air, I was like, I started thinking about Donald Cerrone because you look at what Gilbert Burns is doing right now, and this is reminiscent of 2014, 2015 Cowboy Cerrone. Anywhere, anytime, any place, yeah. I'm that guy. And I feel like at some point in those runs where he fought so consecutively, he just hit a roadblock. And maybe it's because it was too much, too soon. That I'm not sure about. I do know that Gilbert Burns probably takes a little better care of his body outside of training camp. He's a very smart guy. Like he takes notes of all his camps. He has all this, this data that he can look back on going into these fights. And I feel like for Bilal, it's, it's crazy to think that he just went through Ramadan and he's taking this fight on short notice. I mean, that's that's BMF territory. Like, for yeah, people yeah, don't yeah. Know, for people listening that don't know what you, these guys during Ramadan have to do, they fast from sunup to sundown, and they can't drink or eat anything. So imagine having to train two or three times a day, and you can't consume a single drop of water. Like that is mind blowing to me. So it's short notice for both guys, but I mean, I don't really. I feel like Bilal's at more of a disadvantage than Gilbert is because Gilbert's just rolling strong. I mean, he, he burned through Neil Magny, like a hot knife through butter, made it look relatively easy against yeah. Roy Masvidal and didn't take any damage. Like those were just almost like hundred percent sparring sessions more than they were fights. So Bilal is going to make him fight. That's for damn sure. Like it doesn't matter how much notice you give Bilal. He's going to show up and he's going to scrap. And what do you think about too? Now that Leon is the champion and he defended against Kamaru, I mean, I guess for guys like Gilbert who lost to Kamaru uh, as the champion, it's got to be like it's got to kind of light a fire under the whole division, especially anybody who has lost to Usman. Uh, it's like now there's a new champion to kind of. It seems like the whole division buzzes when when the champion turns because now there's a whole new matchup for uh, each one of them uh, to fight for the belt. It's funny you say that because I remember when when Leon fought Kamaru in the rematch and Colby was there in the crowd. I remember they had a camera on Colby and when they were announcing the decision, decision, he's like, oh, come on, come on, 
come on. And then when they said Leon, he freaking jumped out of his seat like six feet in the air. And you know why? Because he knows he can't get beat. He can't beat Camaro. You're not getting a third fight against him. That's like, right. So it, it, it gets everybody going, especially because Camaro is even before he's a champion, he never has looked bad. He's never really had a bad fight. Like maybe the Emil Mech 30% fight. If, if for people that don't remember the, the, the speech, this was me at only 30% Ugh, cringe, but he's never really had a bad fight. But for Leon, I mean, he had a tough fight against Gunnar Nelson, you know, his first fight with Camaro, he's had fights where he's been kind of hit or miss. So him becoming the champ, it just opens up the floodgates for guys in that race to the top. Cause it's, it is hard to get a rematch for Gilbert Burns to get a rematch. You'd probably have to beat if it was still Usman, he'd probably it'd be Magny. He'd have to be Bilal. And then he'd probably have to beat like a Colby Covington to, to get to another fight. So it just opens up the door for everybody, especially the people that, that, that would not get rematches against Camaro. And Matt Sarah raised an interesting point. We were talking about uh, Bilal fighting Leon, but then they did have that one round. I'm like, hey, it'd be great to run it back. But Matt was like, yeah, but that was it was not a, the best round for Bilal. And he, again, he's it certainly doesn't mean that he wouldn't have won that fight. But it's like, well, how do you sell the fight? You know, it's a, maybe a little bit harder to sell than Bilal than Covington. And uh, I know Leon said he didn't want Covington first, but. That is going to probably be a big selling fight because people who hate Colby will watch it just to see if he gets his ass kicked. Well, I mean, I don't think Colby's deserving of the shot. You know, yeah, it's like he fights once a year and he, he, you know, he uses his mouth to talk himself into fights. But then I look at the business side and this is there is an entertainment aspect to the UFC. It is sport, but there is entertainment. You love him or hate him. You tune in to watch Colby Covington fight. And there is. Right. You could try to build a storyline around the Bilal Leon fight. Like that was another fight where Bilal stepped in on short notice, you know, made weight. But, you know, like you said, that first round, it didn't look like it was going to get any better for him. And what are you going to sell it on? Like, you know, is the countdown show just going to be a bunch of like, he had meant to poke me in the eye. That was intentional. Like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of, it, it's there, but it's not there. The fact that Colby went to London, weighed in, they got sh- shots of him in the crowd. I think I can see why they're making that fight. But personally, for me, I think it should be whoever wins Bilal and Burns. I think that they should either get the next fight or they should have to fight Colby to get to the title fight. I I, I think that that's what makes the most sense. I feel like for the fans to get they're going to tune in to watch Colby. But I think it would take things up a notch if he could get one more big win before Leon. But that is no easy task in, in the welterweight division. Right, that, that's a really a, a good point, too. It, a lot of times it's not just who mathematically deserves it. It's, it's, it's really what do they think they can sell. And our producer raised a great point. Robert Whitaker uh, is fighting a, a, a Duplessis uh, uh, for two, at 290 because, again, he's dropped two to Izzy. As much as he is fun to watch, though, I'd, I'd watch Whitaker fight somebody six times if he lost every time. I would still enjoy that as a fan. But, uh, yeah, they have to figure how are they going to sell this fight and – what do they think is going to be the, uh, you know, the best way to make money? You have to take that into consideration. So Colby does talk himself into fights um, because people just, a lot of people don't like him and they want to see him lose. Yeah, they do. But it's, it, that's a tough guy to beat, you know, and yeah. for Leon, that's another, you know, I, I think that him as the champ. Yeah. It would be like, I would say, Hey, I, you know, this is the toughest. That's the toughest fight for Leon at 170 pounds. I think with Hamzat, Moving up, I think a guy with just a wrestle-heavy approach with a third lung, like people don't yeah. know, some people don't know this about Colby, his his brother, or Kevin Roberts, his wrestling coach, his brother was my coach. So I've known about Colby for a long time, and he has had this, this you know, it's well known he has a third lung. He had it in college. The guy just doesn't get tired. And I, I think that that's the toughest fight for Leon. And I think that whether that's in the forefront of his brain or in the back of it, I think that that's why he's like, make this guy fight again, you know, like make him fight again. And hopefully he loses. So then I can fight a Gilbert Burns, which is still a tough matchup. I think him and Colby are equal, but I think a guy with a re- more of a uh, wrestle heavy approach with Leon would have more success. You know, and, and you talk about the, there are those guys like him and then there's Marab. Who, who else would you say like, I know going in against these guys that are known for cardio, like all you guys have good cardio, but those yeah. guys that like, even among you guys, you got fuck his cardio is great. Like that's how you know someone has great cardio. Who else would you put in that class besides those two? 
Mm, cardio wise, you know, I would say. Did they say Kane Velasquez at one point was kind of like that? Kane didn't get tired. Yeah, I heard. I've heard a lot of stories about Kane being just an absolute savage in the room, like just endless, like bulletproof cardio. I'd say between Kane, Marab, and Colby, those are the three guys I've always heard that there's just like, like you, like you said, everybody's in shape. But if somebody actually says like, "Yo, this dude is got freakish cardio," it doesn't happen often. So that's why I can only come up with three, but I've trained with Marab and I'm like, I'm, you know, he comes at you like a fucking banshee. Like it doesn't matter what weight class you're in. Like he, he yeah. comes at you with everything he's got. He'll do. I remember watching him spar uh, when he was training for, for Peter Jan, he would go to syndicate early and he would reserve the octagon and he would do five rounds. And it'd usually be with a couple of different guys. And that would be on sparring day before sparring, he would be getting done as the sparring class is starting and then he would go back out on the mat and spar another six rounds. And I'm like, and you know, in the way he fights and the way he spars, yeah. like, I don't think people understand how physically taxing wrestling is not even just the takedown, the ones you miss, the yeah. ones you miss, they punch the wind out of your sails. They deflate your cardio and like Marab can just do it all day long. Like, Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That dude is serving freaking takedowns to everybody. <laughs> 50 to 45 over Piotr Jan, which is really crazy. Like, you know, I, I, I assume Marab would outwork him in that fight. But, I mean, to, to dominate Piotr Jan for five rounds. Uh, and Jan is, you know, again, he's a top five fighter, a former champion. It's, it's crazy to, to see how, how well Marab has been doing. And, and I think a lot of people overlooked him. But I think a lot of the fighters didn't overlook him. And that was why he's got all these great matchups now because guys who wanted nothing to fucking do with him now are going to have to fight him. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he, he's such a hard fight for anybody. He's a hard fight for anybody. And it's like for Rob, the Peter Yan fight, I, look, I was, that's, that's Peter Yan. Like anybody he fights, you're in like, they're in for a tough ass fight. Yep. That dude, he can do it all. He pushed Aljo for five rounds. You know, he's tough. He, he, and he's, he looks unbeatable at times. But man, just him standing there with the high guard. I mean, Marab, he just made it so easy for Marab to shoot. And that's the thing that Marab brings to the table is you can't high guard because he'll take you down. But if you start trying to address punches, he's going to come over the top. He's got good overhand looping punches. Makes him a really, really hard guy to deal with. And not to mention, the other thing that makes him really hard to deal with is the predicament that we're at in the 135-pound division with his stable mate and one of his best friends being two steps ahead of him in the rankings with a belter on his waist because if that wasn't the case marab might be the guy next in line for the title well they say that aljo may move up after this he he may go to a different division or something like you know he may want to vacate for that reason and just go some to another uh he's kind of indicated he would do that it'll be interesting to see what happens in this suhudo fight because those guys are so close again they have like a dc kane relationship where you just don't ever see them fighting um as a fighter what i'm sure you're a fan as well what 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 division do you look forward to watching i'm sure it's harder to watch in your own division because like i may have to deal with this guy who do yeah. you really look forward to watching uh to, you know to be completely honest with you i love watching bantamweights right now and the, and i put flyweights in a close second i feel like the the brand ever since look i love demetrius johnson but sure. he just masterclassed everybody. Yep. I mean, everybody he fought, it was just like, nobody wanted to tune in because he was just dismantling these guys. Now it's getting exciting with Moreno. You know, he had the four fights with Figueredo and all those fights were great. I'm enjoying flyweight, but bantamweight for me right now is just, it's so fascinating to me that to even be a guy at the bottom of the heap in the UFC bantamweight division, you still have to be, there's, there's no margin for error in any aspect of fighting. I feel like the heavier you get, not every heavyweight is going to have the best wrestling cardio jujitsu. You know, I feel right. like the, the, when you start at the heavier guys, you can be a little more one-sided in your style, but the lighter you get, you have to be dynamic. You have to be good at everything. So I've been enjoying watching Bantamweight right now. I mean, it's, there's such a good mix of guys, you know, like, like welterweights kind of wrestle heavy, a lot of wrestlers, uh, a lot of grapplers, but oh, man. Bantamweight's just, it's its on fire right now. I mean, even just this last weekend, Song Yidong and Ricky Smith. Oh, that great. Was a, that was a really, really fun fight to watch. You know, those guys both bring it every time, um, especially Song. Oh, boy. I, I mean, love I'm, watching I'm somebody big... kick the shit out of legs. I, I think that's what I enjoy in fighting more is just watching somebody get their legs and their calves kicked. Uh, I don't I, That's the thing as a fan I enjoy watching the most. You know, so you enjoyed the Rogerio DeLima versus uh, Waldo Cortez fight. 
The, yeah. Those picks. Oh my gosh. I mean, that, that guy, Waldo Cortez has a 94 mile an hour fastball. And you, if for people that have watched baseball, what do you do when you throw baseball? You have to throw Push. and you have to put it all the way on your front leg. How do you take away the fastball? You butcher the hell out of their lead leg. And by the freaking end of the second round, Waldo Cortez had that lead leg was straight. He was, I mean, he started throwing, he should have thrown softball punches. There was no way he was throwing that fastball. So that was probably a fun fight for, for you to watch with that. With that yes, because I, I love watching it. I, I love that, and I love body shots just because they're the thing. That, like, I was a big Ovin St. Proof fan, like those giant body kicks. I even like the way Gon will kick to the body. There's just something about that sound, uh, and you don't see it as often as you see headshots. So I, I have a real thing for, for uh, good, heavy baseball bat kicks to the body. Um, who who's, uh, would you say was the most damaging on your legs that you fought? Ooh, uh, it would be RDA and Benil. Benil, Benil kicked me. I, I did that to myself. I almost shit my pants that fight. Like literally, like I almost shit my pants on the walkout. So my game plan of like, the plan was he kicks the legs. It's going to be southpaw, southpaw. You need to have a really low stance. Crash the kicks with your punches. And I started that fight with my knees locked, standing tall like a woodcracker and he was kicking i could barely keep myself on my feet every time he kicked me because i was standing so straight because you had to shit because I, I i literally had to shit oh <laughs> true, my true story this is a very yeah benil the best win of my career i almost shit my pants in the walkout <laughs> so what happened now because again that just seems like so uncomfortable Did, were you sick or you just hadn't your shit schedule was off I think that I, I, it was the first time I worked with Lockhart and Leith and those guys are phenomenal. They're, they're a great staff, but they, they had like a refueling process and they had me drink like a Vega sport protein shake before I fought. And I don't really drink, you know, plant-based protein. And I think that that just went through me. And I, I remember trying to run out the curtain they're like, Hey, 11, they said 11 seconds till you walk. And as I'm getting ready to turn to the curtain, it hit me. And I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. And I turned to run to the bathroom and the stage coordinator just like grabbed me by the hood. It was like, no, and just like yanked me back and like pushed me out the curtains. <laughs> yeah. So I walked up to Rogan. I walk up and I'm going like this, telling him to take his headset off. And I'm like, I'm going to shit my pants. What happens if I shit my pants? He goes, you're going to what? I go, I'm going <laughs> to And then I, after I won, I ran backstage. I sprinted full sprint to the bathroom. Went in there, hell hath no fury. I let it fly. <laughs> and Joe Silva, <laughs> Joe Silva, the old former matchmaker, was in the urinal next to me, and he has this like nasally voice, and he's like, "Wow, you really did have to shit." Your <laughs> <laughs> so, at, what when when you have to shit and you're physically fighting? Um, what is the worst position you could possibly be in? Is it like a certain motion of going to the ground, or what is the one that you go, "Oh, sh fuck, not that again." I just, I felt like it was standing. I just feel like I just like, I was supposed to be low. So I just, by the time, like halfway through the round, it subsided. Like by then, like, you know, it adrenaline just, or whatever hit the floor a few times. I kind of forgot about it. And I remember in between rounds, I sat on the stool and like my coach is talking to me. It was a tough round. And I'm like, give it a little push. See how it feels a little bit. And I was like, all right, I'm good. And I stood up and he goes, do you hear anything, anything I said? I go, no. And I <laughs> But I sat down and gave myself a couple pushes, felt okay, and then went about my business. Now, you, you've seen that footage, I'm sure. There was a guy, it was an amateur fight, but he shit in the cage. And I, I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often. I mean, you know, again, it's just human nature. You're grunting and pushing and rolling around and getting hit in the stomach. I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often. Well, Yoel Romero did it, I think, against Brunson. Um, and you can see he's wearing purple shorts, and then it just goes like, splat like and you can see it in the video and then another one when that guy kevin lee beat me uh in 2017 the i think it was the fight before me justine quiche yes herself. i remember that yep and it got smeared across the canvas i was like Ugh. i hope that's not where i hope that's not where kevin got me i would be pissed i think yeah and you gotta they gotta make sure oh, they clean come it come on <laughs> uh, Way to add insult to injury. I just rolled around in a pile of someone's crap. Yeah. <laughs>
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Uh, you know what? I'm looking forward to two. Uh, there's so much on this card that looks really good. The uh, I, I always love the, the the main fight of the prelims. There's always a fucking uh, a great fight. Drew Dober against Matt oh, Frivola. My uh, God. It, it's it never sucks to watch either one of those guys fight. Um, uh, Kennedy uh, and Zetchakulu against Devin Clark is up before that. Uh, this I'm kind of excited about this entire card. I'm really psyched. Oh, dude. I mean, come on, Drew Dober. Love a Drew Dober fight. I mean, he, 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 it was crazy to think is he didn't even make the cut for mine and Al's season of Ultimate Fighter. He's a guy that lost in the round of 32. And look at him now. I mean, yep. he's, ranked, he's, he's ranked 14th in the world. And then he got Matt Frivola, who's just a fan favorite. I mean, yeah. who doesn't love, who doesn't love watching either of these guys fight? It, it's the it, Drew and Matt are both the type of guy where it doesn't matter who they're fighting. You just see their name and you're like, fuck yeah, this is going to be a sick fight. Now they put these two against each other. It's, I mean, I'm bummed it got bumped off the main card. But one thing that a lot of fighters don't realize is, and this was like a big thing with Kurt, Chris Curtis and the whole Raul Rosas thing, the best slot to be in is the main prelim on the night of a pay-per-view because not everybody buys the pay-per-view, but everybody's going to watch the prelims on ESPN on big ESPN. And you are the essentially the main event on that part of the card. That's right. I'm glad that those guys are in that spot because they're going to get the most eyes and they deserve it because those guys lay it on the line every single time they fight. And that Raul Rosas uh, loss was so interesting. And again, I, I think, uh, it was a good loss for him if you're going to take a loss because you, you you learn that at the level you guys fight at, you can't go in there and just try to blitzkrieg someone. It's, it's not going to work with guys who are who are really on, on the level of a UFC fighter, whereas a, a lower-level fighter, you might be able to overwhelm like that. Very hard to overwhelm somebody who's calm in those situations. Well, and this goes back to what I was talking about with the Bantamweight division. You just have to be really good everywhere. I was very surprised. I'm not sure if the UFC was aware of how good Christian Rodriguez is, but there is like a big handful of us fighters in the UFC that are like, that kid's a bad, that's a bad dude. Like a lot of people have known Christian Rodriguez is really, really good for a while. Wasn't he seven and one or eight and one or something like that? I think he only had one loss on his record at that time. I think so. Yeah. And and he's just a complete fighter. He's a complete fighter. So for raw, he's learning. And I love how, in spite of all the controversy between Aljo and Raul and the, the training incident with the dad filming or whatever, I love that Aljo's like, Hey dude, let me take you under my wing and show how, show you how it's done. That's going to be so good for Raul Rosas. Cause he has so much room to grow obviously because of his age. Uh, and then you go back to Christian Rodriguez, my teammate Brady after his big win two weeks ago says, Hey, I want that guy. And I was like, I, I loved that call out for Brady. Cause he's another guy when you talk about complete bantamweights, I mean, this kid is the real deal. Just to, just turned 24, and he's just an absolute monster. I mean, it's he he. I think that he wanted whoever won the Rodriguez Rosas, right. and I think that that just sweetens the pot a little more. That it's him versus Christian. Hopefully, we'll see if that happens. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy how like what what puts a guy on a run to be a fan favorite. You never like like. Uh, uh, Jesus, Sean uh, O'Malley. Yeah. Like uh, he's just one of those guys that long before he's highly ranked. I mean, he's a guy everybody wants to watch fight. And I don't know if it's if it's a style of fighting, if it's the way they are in the cage, combination, any of those things. But some guys are just like Leon Edwards had to fucking grunt and fight. What nine straight <laughs> fights? He had to Seriously. fight. Some guys. They, they just pop for some reason. I always wanted to see Edwards uh, Masvidal because yeah. of that whole backstage thing, which I didn't like. No. Um, I always wanted to see those guys fight. That's one of the rare times the UFC didn't make a fight happen because they always seem to make the fights happen. I don't get why that fight never happened, especially like 
in the heat of it. Like, it, but that this was before Masvidal became the BMF champ. This yeah. was before the Ben Askren KO. This was the Darren Till fight. This was the fight when he came back from from his time off. He went and did the reality show or whatever. Comes back and beats Till. Then that happens. Then the next fight is Askren. I'm like, why didn't you strike? Well, the iron was hot. Yeah. You could have. This was before Masvidal became main event Masvidal. You know. So this was this was a fight where you could have stuck him on the same card, UFC 239. I fought that night. You could have stuck him on the card with Leon instead of Askren. But you know what? It probably worked out for the best because that flying EKO sent him to the moon. Like that, I don't think he, even if he yeah. beat Leon, I, I don't think he would have beat him that way. No. It, his, he wouldn't have the trajectory of the career he's had and made the money that he's made, but it, it would have been sweet to see that fight happen. Plus, Ben Askren came over, uh, you know, kind of like Michael Chandler did. But I think Askren was undefeated at that point, uh, if I remember correctly. And that was his first loss. So that was yeah. such a big deal to have him finally fighting. And him and Dana had gone back and forth. So to have him in the UFC uh, fighting was, was a big deal. But didn't Leon get hurt, too? Something tells me that they were trying to make that fight. And Leon had a run of bad luck. He got hurt. His opponent got hurt. It got canceled for this reason. Like yeah. I, I was like, fucking Leon's never gonna get a title shot just because of bad luck. He's had he has had shit luck. Like and it's the same thing with like Tony Ferguson. You want to talk about bad luck? My yes. God. I mean, oh, it's it, don't even get me started on Khabib Ferguson. I could I tripping could on that was it three times they tried to make that fight when he trips on a cord. I think they tried to make it five times. I think was it they, five? Wow. I'm pretty sure it was like it was over. Yeah, five. Wow. Times. Yeah. So you want to talk about jinx? But I mean. Leon Edwards was headed in that direction. Injuries, yeah. COVID, him getting hit COVID, his opponent getting COVID, like just a rough string of luck. But you know what? It is cool to see somebody pull out of that rut and, and get to the top. It, 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 it is cool to see. And, and the other thing too, honestly, is like, look, domination is great, but new champions open up so much more opportunity. You see a lot more movement in, in this weight class. You got so many guys making their way up. Um, but yeah, to see him to cap off a, a terrible run of luck with a world title is pretty cool. Yeah. And he, but he wasn't losing. I mean, he was losing that first Usman fight and the fact that he wound up landing that a, a incredible head kick. I mean, I, I kind of give Kamaru a lot of credit for engaging as, as, uh, as aggressively as he did. Cause I think he was up three to one at that point. Um, yeah. if I remember correctly, um, uh, but yeah, that, that win, I mean, what an incredible win. And um, I, I want to see what happens against Colby, but I think Colby is a tough fight for anybody because he just has this way of never getting tired, grinding you up against the cage. He does everything well. He strikes well. He wrestles well. Um, that's a very exciting fight for, uh, for us as fans. And if I was Leon, I would not be looking forward to that. No, not at all. Not at all. It, you know, another thing too is, you know what, what another element to that that's crazy is imagine I was talking to, I forget, I think I was talking to my wife about this. Imagine if Hamza and Leon would have happened. Where would the state of the division be right now? Like that fight was supposed to happen. That was one of the fights where first, I think it was first Hamza got COVID. That's when Bilal slid into the spot. Right. And then Leon got COVID when they got matched again. But imagine where we'd be now if Bilal, or not Bilal, if Hamza. Leon and Hamza fought. How do you think he does at middleweight? That's that's an interesting question. I mean, I've seen him in person. He's about my height. He's probably a little bigger. Um, I, th I think it depends on the matchup. I mean, middleweight's one of those divisions where the the top of the heap, the top five, everyone's pretty damn good everywhere. Like, yeah. If I was to be honest, you know, about Drickus Duplissier versus Robert Whitaker, I don't think that's going to go very well for Drickus. I mean, he struggled a little bit with Brunson. And you just don't see Robert really struggle with anybody aside from when, when Adesanya put him out in the first fight, like you've never really seen him struggle. Maybe we've seen him get dropped, but you know, things like that, but he's always in it. He's always competing. So, I mean, I, I think him, I, the big test I think would be to do Hamza and Costa. Let's see how you can do against you are the biggest welterweight in the weight class. Let's see how you do against the biggest middleweight, you know? So that if that fight happens, that'll be a big test unfortunately we're probably not going to see it till October. I don't think that we see Hamza really fight anywhere outside of, of Abu Dhabi. 
you know, I think I tell you who I think would be even because uh, Costa is so big and strong. But I do think that Hamzad it, it gets a hold of him. He could he could he could pull him down. I think Vittori would be an interesting matchup too, with uh, with Shemayev. I would love to see that matchup. Uh, I can't think. I'm, I'm looking at the middleweight division right now. I think that's the one I would like to see most of all if I had my choice would be Vittori against Hamzad. I think so, too, especially because Vittori's stuck in a tough spot. I think he's fighting Jared Cannonier. That's the kind of rumbling that I'm hearing. Um, you know, but, yeah, it would be interesting to see him versus Marvin because, you know, if I was Marvin after that Delizze fight, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, if I was him, I would call out Hamza. Like, if there, this is kind of in the heat of Hamza talking about going up and it kind of becoming known that it's confirmed, that would have been the time to kind of jump on it and strike with the iron. That's right. But, um, you know, it, I, I think that, I don't know who Hamza fights next, but what I'm hearing is it'll probably be October in Abu Dhabi. And they say, uh, you know, the whole division must have just went off. Ah, fuck when uh, when uh, Pereira lost that yeah. second fight to Izzy because Izzy has done so well in the division. He's cleaned out the division that Alex was a new matchup for almost everybody except for really Strickland and, and you know, maybe one or two other. I can't even see my glasses, but I think Strickland is the only uh, top 15 guy he has fought besides Izzy. So that just gave everybody a matchup uh, with him as the champion. But is he moving up? I've heard he's going to move yeah, up. That's the, that's the rumor. That could get real fun. The Jamal Hill fight would be pretty sweet. You know what I'm saying? There's such a storyline. You know, you're, you know, you're, you're the, the student of Glover Teixeira. And Jamal Hill retired your that's coach. That's right. You know, and then there's that moment when they shook hands in the octagon. You could tell Pereira kind of sizes him up. Now, you want to talk storylines? There is not a better fight you could put together in the UFC right now when you talk about a storyline. Like, the build-up to that fight, I feel like that they could go back to, like, do you, do you remember the UFC primetime shows? Like, when they would do the three-part series building up to, like, GSP and Diaz or GSP and Condit. Like, they used to put together these three-part right. called UFC primetime. That's the perfect fight to do something like that because there's so much meat on that bone. Jamal being this underdog champion, dethroning Glover. And then now Glover's student making his way up to 205 to avenge the loss of his coach. Uh, you can't write a better. I mean, that's perfect. Well, what is, when does Yuri come back? So I think Yuri has the first shot at Jamal Hill whenever he's, is, is there a timeline for him? I think Yuri was shooting for July. Um, I think he was shooting for international fight week, but I think if it was going to, if that was the case, we would have heard it by now. Right. I think that they're slow playing him. I think Yuri can, he seems like the type of guy that could be too tough for his own good, you know? So I think that they're probably trying to make sure he's fully recovered. I saw, did you see that video of him hitting pads on the boat? He's like, on no, it's, you got to look it up. Cause everyone's like, that guy's going to get smoked when he comes back. And I'm like, dude, the guy's coming off shoulder surgery. He's probably hasn't been hitting pads very often. So of course he's looking a little, a little more nimble than he normally does. Did he put the video out or somebody else did? It was it was like something he put out. He was like hitting mitts on a boat and scuba diving, just doing Yuri stuff. He just does weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he really does. Like, I'm sure that like that's just like a small piece. There's probably so much weird shit he does that we have no idea about. And maybe it's probably best we don't. And it's, but it's weird to think that if he didn't look great in that and he put it out, he knows he probably didn't look great and he's just getting his shoulder back. What do people think that's the best he can hit? Like, it really is funny how people react to these videos that people, that guys put out on themselves. Oh, 100%. It, it, it is very true, you know, and he's a quirky guy, dude. He's like, it's like Tony Ferguson, then Diego yeah. Sanchez, and like Mirko Krokop had a kid. Like, he's just got like, <laughs> he's got the weird spiritual stuff of Diego. He's got the elbow, weird, reckless style of, uh, of Tony. And then he, you know, I think I'm pretty sure he spent time training with Krokop as well. So that's probably why I threw him. I loved Mirko Krokop. I, he was such, I mean, everyone kind of loved watching, uh, watching him. It was, I was kind of sad when he left. He was always, uh, I never got to see him fight in person. Uh, he's one of those guys I just never got to see, but I, I love those, uh, those Krokop days. Yeah. Cause you love liver kicks. You're the, you're the liver kick guy, you know? So they, if you want, there's nobody that can serve up a better liver kick than Mirko. He should be the liver king. Miracle the Liver King Crow Cop. I mean, it kind of has a kind of has a ring. <laughs> it's got a nice ring to it. <laughs> now, apparently, uh, we just got this note uh, seven days ago. Uh, Yuri said, uh, I wanted to be back in six months after the surgery, but the shoulder is not easy to rehab because there's so many angles, many things to work on. So, yeah, you're right. It's a shoulder and it's a pain in the ass, and he's probably going to be longer than uh, July. Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing with shoulder surgeries, I've had shoulder problems myself. 
Um, and they say like the recovery is so long because it's such a complex joint. I mean, literally it holds your arm up. So, yeah. uh, you know, and, and when you get, I don't know what Yuri's surgery was, but I know a lot of those shoulder surgeries when they repair it once, if you come back too early and re-injure it again, it's like, it's a strong probability. It's never going to be the same. What is a really rough shoulder surgery? Like of all the things to get done on the shoulder, what is the one that you're like, that's an extremely difficult recovery? A common thing is a labrum tear. That's what I, I have. I have, have a labrum tear in both my shoulders and you can work through it. You can work around it. I'll probably get kind of like what TJ did. I'll probably get the surgeries like when I'm done, but it's a common injury and you can honestly work through it and be fine. But even just the recovery time on that's like nine months. Like it's like you spend so much time in a sling because you can't move your arm and then you have to build it back up. Um, I'm sure rotator cuff is bad. It, it, whatever the shoulder surgery is where they have to put anchors in to hold right. stuff down. That's the one that takes so long to recover. And it's also, that's the surgery where if you pull one of those anchors out, like it's, it's really hard to reattach those parts. So um, yeah, shoulders are no joke, man. And it's crazy too. Cause you'll hear now they remember how bad an ACL used to be because yeah. ACL it was like the end of the world. I know a lot of fighters that I don't want to name because it'd be not right, but I know sure. a lot of guys that don't have ACLs and they're just like, they've just found ways to build muscle to just keep their knee stable and in place. Like that's a common thing where guys are electing not to get ACL repairs. Now, are they going to suffer for that? Cause Matt had one of his knees operated on. He was very happy he did it and he wants to get the other one. Is that going to come back to haunt them someday or will they have less knee problems? Yeah. I, I haven't actually heard of what could be, bad on the back end of that not getting an acl surgery but maybe it's them just electing to not get the surgery and get it done at like a later time because i can't imagine like i don't know maybe i just want to get it fixed if it happened to me just because it would seem like the right thing to do how do you like being on the desk uh you're really good you love it don't you oh man i i have to pinch myself sometimes and it, to, to make sure it's real you know i I never thought of, this was not something that I sought out to do. Like my, my sole mission was to get in the UFC and I think just being on the ultimate fighter and getting around cameras, I got comfortable and it was John Anik that kind of planted the seed. Some, he was just like, dude, you speak well, like there's going to be something for you down the line with, 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 you know, beyond your fighting career. And after him saying that to me, it kind of triggered something in my head. So I started lobbying for it. once we, once we moved to Fox and we started to see, you know, UFC tonight and more shows, I kind of started putting it out there a little bit and, and uh, I'm so glad it came to fruition, dude. It's like, yeah. like I said, if I didn't have the desk job, I, you know, I'd probably have to you know buy some real estate and do some other things to develop income outside of fighting, but I'm so blessed. And there, there's no way I could not love this part of my life because I literally wake up and all I do, everything I do revolves around the sport. I wake up, I go train, I come home, I study fights and I'm getting paid for all of it. I'm like, what is there not to love about it? And, and I love, I have a ton of passion. I'm busting at the seams with it. I love getting out there and trying to excite the fans to tune in. And I like being a part, a small part in the narration of these fights. I feel like we're part of the prologue to the story. You know, you let Rogan, DC, Felder, and all, the, all those guys, they're the narrators, but like, let, let me tell the prologue and kind of build you guys up to it. I love that part. And I hope someday down the road that I get to be a narrator because that is, the end goal when it comes to, to to this whole fighting thing is I want a world title and I want to sit octagon side with Paul Felder and call fights. Do they, now when you do something, when you're on the desk or you do, do they, is there a training you go through to, or would they sit you down and just say, all right, now talk about this fight or how do they determine if you're going to be good at it? It's, it's tough when you get there and I didn't go to acting school. I'm not familiar with this. So you got an earpiece in, you're talking while someone else is talking in your yeah. ear. And there's guys pointing at cameras. It's a trial by fire thing, but I, I, the, what my boss told me is like, yes, everybody's going to struggle their first time, but where we see if you have potential is we can tell if you showed up prepared or not. And I think right. a lot of guys think like, yeah, I can, I can talk about this guy. I can talk about that guy. And just like walk in there thinking like, I, I'm a know-it-all. It's like, no, dude, you got to study. You got to, you got to at yeah. least know every fighter's last two fights on the card and have something. And so I think that that's, preparation is what led me to get past those first few tough shows and, and it got me here and you guys when you're when you're especially when you're when you're on the uh octagon side you, it, it's like your name is as much a part of the sport as it was when they were fighting remember dc everyone's talking felder bisping uh you know dominic cruz of course 
it's like you remain very, very present in the eyes of, of all the fans because you're involved with even more so a lot of times than when guys fought because you're there present at every card. I think for those guys too, um, I think a lot of fighters when they're done fighting struggle with the thought of like losing their identity of being a fighter, you know, like that's right. a big part of who you are and we're all proud to be that. But, you know, that's like, I think for like, I think Bisping said something like this, like I'm still, I'm still a fighter. Like I, I haven't lost my identity. I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still calling fights. This is still what I do for a living. So uh, it, that's gotta be cool. I gotta ask you, who's your favorite octagon side commentator when you go through the rogans the annex all all the fighters which one's your favorite you know it's really hard because rogan is just rogan he's been there forever so he's the voice you associate mm -hmm. um and i could give you a different answer on any given day like i love dominic cruz is so good at at, at, the, at the little minutia of what guys are doing in the cage that uh, as a non-fighter, I would never pick up. The things that he is describing, uh, the way the guy is throwing a left and he's got to point his foot away. And that's the guy who wins the, the, the battle is the guy who wins the, the battle of the of the foot position. Um, I, I love Bisping too. Actually, Bisping is just so emotional mm -hmm. that he's so much fun to watch. Like Bisping will sometimes make a mistake, but he's just a guy reacting yeah. the way a guy reacts. And I think they all bring... And I'm not giving you a vague answer. There's something about every one of them I love. I love DC. Yeah. I love Paul Felder, John Anik, of course, but his role is a little bit different, I think, yeah. uh, than their roles. Uh, but it depends on the day of the week. You know, I'll say this about Bisping. Of all the, of all the fighters that, that, that sit Octagon side and call the fights, <clears throat> he's the one you can tell still has, like, they're, they're, they're all passionate about fighting. But I think Bisping gets so excited because I still think that he's the one guy that still has that glowing ember inside. Yep. Like I, I say the glowing ember because the when Paul went on uh, Joe Rogan's and he was like, I'm trying to blow on that glowing ember to light the fire to get you to fight again. I feel like Bisping still kind of has the desire to compete. And I think that passion comes out of him. Um, but yeah, everybody, everybody has their own niche. You know, um, I've been enjoying Paul. Paul seems to be getting a lot more comfortable. Uh, he does a great job. Everybody, there's something about what each guy does different that makes them so great. So for me, it's hard to pick one as well. Yeah, and Cormier, I just love listening to. And there's none of them I don't like. Like, I can never yeah. think of, like, it's almost like you just, it's just, I watch so many fights. It's like, oh, it's DC again, or it's, it's busy. Yeah. I'm so comfortable with all of that. And you think when it was at one point just Rogan and Goldberg, and you're yeah. like, how are they going to follow this? And the fact that those guys did all of that work, um, you realize that a third person definitely helps when you have a third person there regularly. I love when you guys jump in. Like, I love Dean Thomas. Dean, oh. I told Dean how good he is. <laughs> I love Dean. Dean's the man. Dude, he says something really smart. It, it's exactly what he's told to like to talk. He, as a coach, he sounds like a really, really knowledgeable coach, and he comes in with a great point. And uh, they're always like, yeah, it was a great point by Dean. This is what's going on. I love it. I, I, I love listening to Dean talk because he's got a – he definitely sees certain techniques and nuances that I wouldn't pick up on myself. Like he'll, when he gets to chime in on a fight, I, sometimes it's hard for me to turn the, the analytical side of my brain off when I'm watching sure. a fight and he'll say something. And I'm like, Oh wow. Like I did, I did not see that. Like that. It, it's always cool to hear his perspective on things. I also, uh, I, I like watching, you know, once in a while you'll see a moment in the corner, like whether it's Leon Edwards, uh, guy screaming at him in that first Usman fight, but anything coming from a coach, I, I always, uh, because fighters, you guys know everything, but a coach, he just, he's, I think probably even able to distance himself a little bit more because they're so used to distancing themselves from the physical action in the cage and actually observing and telling you what's going wrong. So I love anything coming from a coach's point of view as well. As long as it's not too much, there's sometimes when I'll hear a guy corner and I'm like, it's not a video game, dude. You can't just sit here and jam buttons. You got, right. I, I feel like as a coach, you just let them fight and say something until it's absolutely needed. You know, do you, do you need to be yelling one, one, two, low kick, this, 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 like, remember that guy can hear it too. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there, there's definitely a balance there. Do you, I, I liked um, the moment when Poirier was fighting hooker and remember he was like, asked his coach, like, how's my hair? <laughs> I don't remember that, but that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was talking to coach, was coach Ali. And he's like, hey, how's my hair? And he's like, your hair looks good. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> All right, Michael, listen, uh, we appreciate you coming on. Always so great, man. Uh, when, when can, uh, uh, you have a podcast you do? Yeah, I do UFC Roundup with Paul Felder. Uh, it's every Wednesday before and after a pay-per-view. Um, and it's on YouTube. Usually we throw a link up um, on our social media profiles. But it's good to come on. 
uh, you know, I always love talking to Jim and of course, you know, to, Matt. Fill, Matt, to fill Matt Sarah's spot, you know, it's big shoes to fill, but hope to get on here again and uh, talk to both. Anytime. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Always good. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Look forward to your fight, whether it's with Lee or somebody else. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully you'll be fighting too. Do you know when or not yet? No idea yet, but I'm sure I'll find okay. out this week. All right. Michael Chiesa, thank you very much. And uh, guys, we'll see you Wednesday back with Matt Sarah and uh, take care of yourself, Michael. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Bye, buddy. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.